0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch.
1: Good to see you all. We're officially on the countdown to the end of this, this age of men. I've been reading the Silmarillion a lot, so like, Tolkien is, Tolkien's in the background of everything that I'm thinking these days. Um, welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Um, if this is your first time, uh, enjoy it. We're uh, getting ready to move. We're really excited, like, you know, it's just another one of those examples of, you know, something happens in life and you're like, oh my gosh, another thing, like another obstacle I have to overcome. We've got to figure this out. We've got to start committees, and we got, to, you know, and doing all these things, and, and, and something that came along very early on with eldership, with staff as we were praying through, is like, okay, this is an opportunity for us to trust the Lord, to go ahead of us, to make straight the paths, that it's more about us learning how to listen and follow him wherever he's leading us than to take matters into our own hands, and, and it really has turned out that way. It has been a relatively painless experience, and um, I'm actually really excited about uh, the Orlando Science Center. I got to go over there this week with Loy, Um, we we got a tour. The people there are wonderful. The facilities are amazing. They're going to meet all of our needs really well. And I think it's going to be a really good home for us. Um, And we're continually uh, looking for where's a a place that we can rest during the week. Kind of an office, place for small groups, meetings, and so on. So we're continuing to look for that. If you have any ideas, by all means, uh, reach out and let us know. Um, But I'm really excited to see uh, what the Lord does in this next chapter in our community, because, you know, it's, it's not a building, it is a building, buildings shape culture, space shapes culture, so we're just curious just to see what are we going to look like in this next stage, but I'm really excited for it, for it, and I just hope that you guys continue to pray for that transition, and we can do it really well, um, and like Becky said, the last Sunday, we're going to have a good old funeral here, um, we're going to celebrate the good, we're going to grieve the bad so that we leave well, um, so I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into what the Lord has for us today. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here, that you're with us, um, that you are for us, uh, you're not against us. And Lord, uh, you are the one constant in our lives. And time and again we come back to this reality and time and again we forget that we continue to uh, to seek our security and our confidence in our relationships, in our jobs, in our physical location, in our health, in our financial security, and and all of these things are like sand slipping through our fingers. You are the one constant in this universe. Uh, You are the one thing that is unchanging, unmoving in the best sense of those words. And Lord, what we have right now is an opportunity to be reminded of that, Um, to loosen up our grip on the things that we hold on to so tightly for security and for confidence, Um, even if those things are religious things, Uh, but to come back to the one true eternal constant in all of this, which is you and your loving presence to us. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, we finished up a series called To the Holy and Faithful, where we were allowing Paul's letter to the Colossians to lead us uh, deeper into our larger vision for the year. And our vision this year is all our allegiance to King Jesus. We've been looking at that word allegiance um, as a translation for the word faith, that a lot of times we think faith is kind of passive trust, like we kind of nod, like, oh yeah, God's doing that thing over there, okay, good, my job is to therefore do nothing and just kind of... Wait until I die, and then I get to go to heaven. But in reality, the faith that we're called to is living, and it's active, and it's dynamic, and it's something that we invest in in the present moment, that it's us gathering up every part of who we are behind Jesus as our king and following him wherever he leads us, that we become the seeds of his kingdom so that when people look at us, they look at the way that we live our lives, they look at the way that we relate to one another, they get a taste of what it looks like when God is finally king over all creation, which is a pretty big deal, okay? <laughs> like, that's a big calling for all of us. Like, that's, that's our living testimony, that when, when theoretically, When everyone looks at us, they should see this is what it looks like when God is king. And so we allowed Paul to lead us on that journey by giving us a very high view of Jesus as the king, the Messiah, the the centrality of who Jesus is to our faith, and then kind of working out from there, okay, so how are we called to live? If it's not about the rules and the regulations and it's not about being a good little Christian boy and a good little Christian girl, it's actually about something deeper what is that? And recognizing what Paul was inviting us to see, oh, it's about being formed, it's about being shaped from the inside out to look more like Jesus, to see the world a little bit more the way that God sees the world. And we finished out uh, last week um, by looking at the very end of the, uh, the letter where Paul says, you know, finally be watchful and thankful, giving us one discipline there of the more we learn how to see God's hand at work in the world, the more we're grateful. And that platform of gratitude gives us confidence then to know how to pray, how to see. And then the second part of it, where Paul's you know, mentioning this ragtag group of people, some of them live in Colossae, some of them are going to come and visit, and there's, there's Jews, and there's Greeks, and there's men, and there's women, and there's slaves, and there's rich people, and he's kind of demonstrating this is what it looks like in practice. When God's king, all these strange people are gathered together under his rule, And people that normally would be at at each other's throats now find themselves brothers and sisters in the kingdom. And so... We finished up Colossians, and, and, and one of the, the last people that was mentioned in that letter was Onesimus. And so I really felt like it would be very natural for us to look at another one of Paul's letters. We're going to read the entire letter today. It's very short. It's the shortest book in the Bible. It's called Philemon. And um, Philemon was, uh, was a rich guy that lived in this town of Colossae, and he was part of this early church. And Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. And at some point, what we think is Onesimus stole from Philemon ran away, engaged with Paul somewhere in the, known, you know, in the known world at the time. Paul brought him in, kind of maybe knowing who he is, because he probably brought Philemon and his household to the Lord. And um, Paul kind of converts Onesimus, like gives him um, the, the good news of Jesus. Onesimus becomes really close and dear to him. And now Paul is writing a letter to send back with Onesimus to, to Colossae to meet Philemon. And so that's kind of the background of what's going on here. But the beauty of this letter is that it's not, it's not just a list of theology. You know, a lot of times that's what we expect. When we come here and we do church or we listen to a podcast or we read a book, we're like, give me ideas. Like, what are these ideas that I'm supposed to believe as a Christian? Like, we don't necessarily get that in Philemon. What we get is an actual demonstration of how radically our relationships change When we are found in Christ. When we are together as the church. So I'm going to read all of the letter of Philemon. And I want you to be listening for all of the relational language. Different roles and titles. um, The different kind of words that we're called to relate to one another. And I want us to be able to find our place in this letter. So this is the entire letter. Book of Philemon. Shortest book in the Bible. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to uh, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus An old man, which is really funny. We're talking mid-40s, okay? So that that was a wake-up call in of myself at 37. Uh, An old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. This is a, you know, Paul loves his word games. Onesimus, his name means useful, Okay, that's what his name actually means, which is a you know, great name for a slave. And he's saying, like, once he was useless to you, but now he's become useless or useful to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would, would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Now I mentioned a few weeks ago when we looked at this very difficult passage in Colossians that has a piece that goes with it. in Ephesians, when it talks about slavery, we look at this and we go, oh, the Bible, especially Paul, condones slavery. And that was actually the running line in our country for, mm, I don't know, 250 years or so, like 300 years. Christians, white Christians said, oh, look, the Bible condones slavery because Paul condones slavery. And we, when we actually read it through the proper lenses, that Paul has this very big vision of what it looks like when God is king. But he's also pragmatic and he says, in the meantime, this is how we're going to work out these things in fear and trembling in the relationships you have now. So Paul does not condone slavery. But he also recognizes I need to meet people where they're at today and give them the tools to work through these new kingdom relationships, so that we can see that reality come to life here and now. So this is this idea that like, the kingdom is he- already here, but the kingdom is also coming, and we live in this creative tension between those things. So for the wealthy in the known world, the Roman world in the first century, getting rid of slaves would be like getting rid of cars. If I wrote a letter to you and I said, "Dear city, beautiful church," um, I need everybody to go ahead and get rid of your cars because they're damaging the environment, you'd be like, uh, what? No, I can't do that. So yes, you can. You can live without a car. And you go, I mean, technically I could, but I don't want to. That's kind of the equivalent of what's happening in the first century, okay? So Onesimus has run away. Everything in their society says he's disobedient, like he needs to be severely punished. He belongs as property to Philemon. And this is the tension. Philemon would be thinking like, why would I get rid of my slave? Like that's not, we can't have a society if we don't have slaves to do our work. And so that's the tension that Paul's entering into. He knows these people. They're dear to him. And he's recognizing the reality of the relationship they have in the moment. But he's also trying to call them to this higher thing. And so he's really making a huge ask of both of these people. He's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back, but not as a slave, as a brother. And you can read a subtext in here where actually Paul is asking Philemon to set his brother free. So this is actually not a letter that condones slavery, but it's one of liberation. And it becomes part of that that narrative that in theology of that God is a liberating God, that God meets us where we are in our earthly relationships but seeks to set us free in those things through the work of the people he's bound us to in the church. And he's making a huge ask of Onesimus to say, I want you to go back. Can you imagine? Like, this guy escaped slavery and he's going... I want you to go back, and I want you to trust Philemon's heart as much as I'm asking Philemon to trust your heart. That we can actually, because of what Jesus is doing here, we can actually solve this whole thing, and we can actually graduate to a new level of relationship. And one of the things that we find here um, is that Paul is using persuasion. Now, our very cynical 21st century eyes, we read when Paul says, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what I ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you. And we're like, okay, he's laying the guilt trip. How many of you grew up like that maybe? Like your parents, you know, just like, well, like, I could ask you to do this, but I would just really hope that you'd know how to, you know, it's like, it's almost worse than just being told what to do when you just like add on a heaping dose of guilt and shame to try to get people to do what you want and that's what we normally read into this and that's very common with philemon but i think we need to we need to pull off that lens of cynicism and like maybe actually believe the best in paul that he means what he's saying because paul knows his relationship he knows what philemon owes him and he talks about that in this letter he's like you owe everything to me but i don't want to just command you to do something And the big thing I think, the very Christ-like move I see here, is this is how God relates to us. God goes, I could just give you a bunch of rules and regulations. I could tell you exactly what to do every day. I could make all your decisions for you, give you no wiggle room, and ask you to be an automaton. But that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to be present in your life in a way that I want to see you transformed so that you learn to think in new ways. And you learn to feel in new ways. And because of that, you learn to act in new ways. You see, our faith is not about rules and regulations and and just staying inside the lines and having someone tell us what to do, although many of us really actually want that. We're addicted to someone telling us what to do. But God makes this deeper appeal to say, I'm going to actually walk through life with you and help to shape you so that you begin to see the world in a different way. You understand who you are in a dramatically different way. And because of that far deeper work, it's actually going to change how you relate to one another and how you move about in the world. And this is important. This is really important for us today because we cannot mandate the kingdom into existence. Okay, We cannot mandate the kingdom into existence. And I think one of the, the largest tragedies of the church in our country is that's what we think we're supposed to do. Well, if we can get a bunch of laws passed, then maybe we can actually bring the kingdom to earth. If we can find politicians that basically operate the same way that Jesus probably would, then we've done the same work. But laws don't change hearts, okay? And Martin Luther King even talked about this. He says, laws don't change hearts, but they might at least prevent you from killing me. And that's what laws are for. Like, let's stop killing each other, and let's stop, like, you know... Uh, you know, overcoming one another in these very specific ways. But the laws aren't actually kingdom advancement. And when we abdicate our responsibility as Christians to imposing rules and regulations, especially onto people that don't know Jesus, we're, we're committing a crime against God. Because we're abdicating ourselves from the deeper responsibility, which is to be the aroma of Christ, which is to win people into relationship with God where we trust the spirit of God to do something deep within their hearts. And that means we have to trust him to do his work. And so it's not about just imposing rules and regulations on one another and everybody walking around with a ledger and being like, aha, what did Jenna do this week? Okay, okay. And then wagging our finger at one another in love and going like, well, you should really behave yourself and you should do it this way. But to seek that deeper calling, to say, can I invite you into recognizing the goodness of the heart of God in a way that it actually dramatically shifts everything else, the way you see yourself and then the way that you see other people. I think this is the beauty, what we see in very practical terms at the end of Colossians and here in the book of Philemon, that one of the primary ways that God brings us into new life is through the people he binds us to as his family. You know, so often... People ask me, "Why? Well, I, I don't know, how do I hear the voice of God? What does God sound like and how do I learn? And so often what we're conditioned to think is that means a literal voice or it means like the handwriting in the sky. Like that's how God speaks to us. But we have to open up Um, our definition of what it means for God to speak and God to move and recognize, because that's like this interventionist God. Like time and space are just kind of moving on. We're just kind of ambling through history. Every once in a while, God shows up and stirs the pot and goes like, oh, here's quantum physics. Like go, do something with that. And that's how we usually are conditioned to think. But in actuality, the ways in which God speaks to us are tremendously broad, but I think one of the most powerful ways God speaks to us is through each other, amen? How many of you have heard the voice of God through the person sitting next to you or behind you or right in front of you? And we cannot discount that and say, oh, well, that doesn't count because maybe that's the primary way that God wants to speak into your life. So what we see here is this very earthly relationship, right? The powers and the principalities that we talked about through Colossians, like when mankind, when we try to shape the world and we try to bring structure, and then we say, how do we do economics? Oh, it seems really good if there's people that have a lot of money and power, and then there's other people that work for them and they have to work for them because they're required. That's what we do when we want power. So we create these earthly structures of oppressor and oppressed people, and we say, well, that at least everything's in order. That was the justification for slavery. Well, it, it... It's just the way things are and it keeps the status quo and it keeps us safe and secure and society's able to sustain itself because we have these really clear understandings of relationship. And Philemon and Onesimus are in that kind of relationship. That's the understanding they have of master and slave. But what Paul is making the appeal to in Philemon is can you pierce beneath all of the worldly structures that you're swimming in, that you go, this is just the way the world is. This is what you and I, we think because we are in a world that's rife with economic oppression, um, with sexism, with uh, racism, all these different isms, and most of us have been raised in the world to go, well, this is just the way the world is, and it works for you, (laughs) you know, right? Um, But we do not have the prophetic imagination to believe that there's actually a different way, a better way. A way that when God is king, when you and I as human beings, when we let go of our need to fix the world, to structure the world, to have power in the world, but we actually hand that over to the creator of all and allow him to do the work, we're actually surprised by the way he calls us to relate to one another. And so Paul is calling Philemon to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, is what he calls it in 2 Corinthians 5. And reconciliation is a very fancy word. It means to be made friends again. And the reconciliation that we find through Christ is, number one, humanity and God are made friends again. You know, we once walked in the garden in the cool of the day with him, and that was broken because we decided to go and do it our own way. But through Christ, we're brought back together. There's a relationship that's reestablished between God and humanity. But the second level of reconciliation is now among humanity we are made friends again. And that becomes between master and slave, between Jew and Greek, between male and female, all of these ranking systems of humanity where we are pitted against one another because that's just the way the world is, in the kingdom we begin to imagine, well, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe God's actually called us to something more beautiful. And so the challenge that Paul gives to Philemon is, I could just tell you to do this and we could just move over it, but that wouldn't change anything for you. It wouldn't change how you see yourself and it wouldn't change how you see Onesimus. I'm asking you to practically live out the deepest reality of the cross of Christ, that that's what the cross was about. It was about reconciliation. It was about Jesus hanging between two worlds and becoming the bridge for relationship to be reestablished. And so Paul's making a very Christ-like move and saying to Philemon, I want you to be Christ to Onesimus. I want you to empty yourself of power. I want you to enter into a place of brokenness and seek reconciliation. And that's, I think, so inspiring to us as a church community that we're all called to that ministry of reconciliation. That's why our relationships as Christians have a little bit more packed into them than what they did before we knew Jesus. Before that, you know, our our, our expectation for relationship was kind of maybe all over the place. I don't know what you were experiencing in relationship or what you expected, what, like, what friend meant to you or what marriage meant to you or what your relationship with your parents or your children was, but... Whatever all those definitions were, those two are gathered up in that spirit of reconciliation. And God begins to show us, this is how I've created you to relate to one another. So our desire is to create opportunities for everyone to taste and see what's possible in a loving community following King Jesus. And another way to say that is, as the church, we're making a political statement that there's a different way of being a human being. And therefore, there's a different way of how we relate to one another. And the church and the kingdom are not the same thing, okay? Just let's get that. The church is a ragtag group of sojourners seeking out the kingdom together. The church frequently misses the point of why we are the church. And so we don't kind of like paint over all the cracks, but we also don't just like trash the church at the same time. I think about how St. Augustine said, Yeah, the church is a whore, but she's also my mother. And we have to hold that intention. And if you find yourself making excuses for the church to the point that you can't see the brokenness of the church, then you got to do some work. But if you're so obsessed with where the church has hurt and disappoint you and you're just like consuming all that rage porn on Instagram that's just like about how horrible the church is and everything it's done, you probably also need to do some work as well. Because you would want that as an individual, Right? Like You're not the totality of all of your evil, horrible things that you've done in your life, but you're also not an angel. (laughs) I think this is one of actually the greatest gifts that Christianity has for the world today is we have a vision of humanity that actually holds those things in tension. That we don't tell people that they're just pieces, well, we have sometimes, told people that they're pieces of garbage and they're worthless and if they behave really well, then maybe they're acceptable to God. But we also don't say, oh, you're beautiful and you're perfect and you don't need to change. We recognize, no, it's Humanity is messy, and it's this mix of all of these things happening within us, but we actually have some trajectory to be able to work that out in relationship with God. And so what I'm appealing to you today is through persuasion and not through mandating rules and regulations. Because what happens there? What happens when we seek to persuade one another instead of mandating things? Is it actually makes you more responsible for the decisions that you make. This is the other reason that we love rules and regulations. We don't want to be responsible. We want someone to tell us what to do so when it goes wrong, we have somebody to blame, including God, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody in here blamed God before? Anybody shaking your fists at heaven? I know I have. Well, you told me this. or you, I, I did this thing, and that didn't happen because we want rules and regulations. We want mandates. We, want, we don't want to have to think. We don't have to feel. We don't, have to, we don't want to have to work it out. We don't want to have to trust the spirit of Jesus within us and our capacity to hear his voice. But when we are persuaded instead of mandated, it challenges us to be responsible for our own lives. So how do we do that practically? That's what I love about Philemon. It's not a bunch of ideas. It's actual practical living out of relationship. Paul's saying, Philemon, here's what I'm asking you to do. And I know that's hard. But here's what I'm asking of Onesimus. And that's just as hard but I have such trust in the spirit of Jesus that I think this can work out and we can see the kingdom manifest in this very practical way. So take out your phones again and go to citybeautiful.ch slash weekly, okay? Right now, do that. And on there, you're going to find the link for Praxis, which is what we call today. Three times a year, we like to pause and we like to look at what are, how are, the, what are the practical outworkings of being the church, how can we do that? Um, and on what we, we have kind of three main spheres of um, what we're going to be doing on this practice. You can kind of follow along as I'm talking through this. Number one, we have these opportunities to serve. And I kind of like to think of these, this is like the shoulder-to-shoulder relationships within the community. Um, these are really, really practical ways to get to know one another, to contribute to the work of the church, and through that, to realize what our actual capacity might be. And I think what's, what's so, what I want to convey to you that's really important about serving this year, right now, in this season, is we've only got a couple of weeks left in this building, and then we're moving to the Science Center. And it's going to require a whole different set of expectations of how we do that. How do we create a space where people feel welcome, where they feel safe? where they feel the presence of God. That's gonna require actual hands doing the work to make that part a reality. And we've always believed in this community. It's the work of the many, not the few, that gets it done, okay? So there's not like an elite group of Christians in this community who get all these things ready. Like one of the things that I, we've tried to work hard to kind of erase is like there's the audience and then there's the professional Christians and this is the dividing line. And you guys get to watch us do Christianity up here and then you go away and you're like, wasn't oh, that nice? Somebody else did Christianity for us. Like, that's why we try to get in a circle. And a, my major frustration with the pandemic is that we can't really do that. But like that spirit of like, no, no, we're, we're all in this together. Like all of us have the responsibility to do, to do the work. And so in serving, we have these. You need to take that? That's a, that's a timer. I know. Do I need to hurry up maybe? Um, In serving, we need to take those responsibilities to chip in. And here's the big thing with serving, okay? To believe that it's actually life-giving. What? Wait, you mean like helping out other people and like putting forth some effort and showing up and getting some skin in the game might actually bring me to life instead of drain me? Yeah, because I think that's Christ-like. I think that's where we begin to shed some of our ego. We begin to shed some of our overprotecting boundaries that we keep people at arm's length is when we rub shoulders with one another and we begin to serve in practical ways. So maybe you want to try your hand at the tech booth, running lights, running lyrics. Maybe you want to stand at the front door and greet people as part of our engagement team. Maybe you want to come in on our operations team and help kind of set the space beforehand so that it's conducive to worship and meeting God. Maybe you have a gift of singing or playing an instrument. You want to be involved in the musical worship uh, in our community. Maybe you have a heart for children. Maybe you're terrified of children and you know God's asking you to get over that. And you actually want to serve on our kids' ministry. Like, we, we need you to be part of this. Because when you show up, it's better. And when you put your hands to the thing, it's more meaningful and it's more beautiful and it brings God greater glory. And my persuasion is that I want everyone that considers our community home to be serving at least in one capacity. And our goal is that we're trying to get it so that it would only be once a month because it's important that we're all able to come in and gather together and worship together. Um, the next thing that you'll see on there are our discipleship opportunities. Uh, times during the week for us to gather together and relate to one another because we believe you know, what we do on Sundays is special. It's not the be-all, end-all of being the church. We need to have a high expectancy for connection with one another throughout the week. And so what we're introducing through the summer, we're calling them spheres, and these are interest-based groups um, that are primarily for, like, an initial social connection point because we we need to have permission to have fun with each other, amen? Like, to do activities together, there's something that happens when we just do stuff together that binds us to one another in a way that, you know, always just being face-to-face and being super intense, like, I'm intense in relationship, and I'm begrudgingly recognizing that like I need to like loosen up and have more fun with the people that I love you know Um, I see Robert's also getting an elbow for that one so you and me brother Um, so these fears are designed they're interest-based they're not skills-based for us just to gather together through the summer and enjoy one another and to delight in God's kingdom and I think there's something that happens there when we do that that when it comes to the serious work Like we have some sort of foundation. So there's a few of them on there. Uh, Daniel's going to be leading a sphere on disc golf. If you don't know what that is, it's a combination of golf and discs. Um, And if you know Daniel, you know that he's gotten everybody around him addicted to this game. Uh, And so there's a bunch of people already on board. You should do that too. Um, Christina Ruiz, is, Christina's is in the back. She's going to be doing sand volleyball. So if you ever thought, wow, I'd love to get a sunburn with my friends while getting hit in the face by a round bit of plastic, that's the one. Are you going to do it at um, uh, over there on McGuire? Oh, Festival crazy. Park? Huh? It's that one is always busy, isn't it? It's what? Toes in the sand. Toes in the sand. Toes in the sand is a bonus. It exfoliates the bottom of your feet. Super important. Foot health is way up there for me. Uh, so disc golf, sand volleyball. Um, my mom, Donna, is going to do some cooking spheres. So like, if you don't know like, what the difference between like, a dash and a dollop, um, and you want to learn some like, basic cooking techniques, that's going to be a really good one. Uh, and then the fourth one, Sarah Smith's going to do one on the great outdoors. She's, she's already got them planned, like going on different hikes, going and visiting the springs and getting out into nature and just enjoying God's creation. So what happens when you sign up for one of those spheres is each of them, the goal is they're going to kind of have three get-togethers during the summer, so over the next three or four months. And when you sign up, um, on the 20th is the deadline, so next Sunday is the deadline, we're going to pass along your information, and they're going to message all of you together and to say hey, here's the dates that I'm looking at, let me know which one of these. And maybe you come to one, maybe you come to all of them, but they're just opportunities for us to get together and to enjoy one another. The other thing that we're doing this year um, is community groups. Now, during the pandemic, we kind of had to put all of our connection online. And we really put an emphasis on small group studies. So we had some book studies, we had some Bible studies, we had some courses that we were running through the fall, and then we did another set through the spring, and I think they were very good. They kind of helped us to stay connected, to really focus on the Lord together, but now that things are starting to open up, we want to get to the place where we're we're meeting in one another's houses again, where we're relating on a deeper level that's not so, like, specific in the content um, because we crave that personal connection. You know, like we are wired for it. You know, the internet has existed for like 30 years. Human beings have existed for a lot longer. Like your brain needs intimate connection, personal in-person connection. And so our community groups are designed to be a little bit more long-term than some of those studies where they were like six to eight weeks. Um, and they're intended for us to come together. We gather around scripture, we gather around hospitality, but we really begin to invest in one another. And we do that deeper work of, than just our surface relationships might have. And so we're going to have a few uh, in the evenings during the week, Monday through Thursday. And on that sign up form, I want you to, to kind of let us know what are, the, what are the days of the week that work best for you, and then where in town do you live? And over the next week, we're going to try to find hosts and facilitators um, that will kind of meet your needs as best we can. Um, so I think this is kind of like the next move for our community in this season, where we're saying, okay, we're, the dust is settling, we're able to come back together, are we going to walk this out with one another in a deeper sense? And I think the beauty of that, hi Theo, I think the beauty of like this stuff, it's the practicalities of what we see in the book of Colossians and in Philemon. And I want to remind you of Colossians 3.11, this very big statement from Paul. He says here, and let's just say here, in City Beautiful Church, there is no Gentile or Jew. So that's a kind of an ethnic divide. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. You know what that divide is. (laughs) Barbarian or Scythian, those are the people that are from the boondocks. So there's no one from Minnesota, even though there are people from Minnesota. I'm gonna Every time, man, I'm just going to keep, keep coming after you. There are no barbarians, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And I think it's the community groups are the places where we start to walk that out. Like I've talked about how we do that at the table at the Eucharist. We come together with that person over there and go, they get to come to the table too? And you go, yeah, they get to come to the table too. But during the week as we gather, we sit in a space with others and go, that person gets to be here? Yeah, they do. And you're going to relate to them and you're going to open your life to them and they're going to open their life to you. And you're going to realize that all of these surfacy reasons, how you filter out who's worthy of your attention and who's not, all of those things begin to dissolve in the kingdom. I um, sat with Victoria's grandma, 89-year-old grandmother yesterday for Longer than I think Victoria thought I should have. But she was telling me all these stories and all this stuff. And it was, she was born in 1932. And her granddad worked the railroad that Henry Flagler built through here. Like, and it's just like, wow. Like, I have nothing in common with this woman except Jesus. And is there really anything? You know? And it's like when we end up in those kind of moments of relating to one another because we have that common foundation, Christ is all and is in all, we're surprised and delighted by what we encounter in others. And so we work it out in real time, being the church, seeking the kingdom. We have this unity of our pursuit in Jesus, but there's a diversity in the stories that we've been living, in our personalities, how we see the world, in our background. And because we're exposed to all of that diversity, it makes us more resilient followers of Jesus. And so I want to, I'm going to open it up um, for you guys to, to, to think and to process, like in practical terms, not as an idea Um, not as a, a theory, but practically, what has loving community meant to you these past few years? Now, maybe this is your home church. Maybe City Beautiful is your place. Like, we've been in this building for five and a half years. Like, when have you encountered that loving community that's maybe changed your perspective of what God is like, who you are Or who others are. So I'm going to pray. And I just want to give you like 30 seconds to reflect. And then I'm actually going to open it up for a couple people to come forward and give testimony. Because there's something that happens when we speak it out that helps the rest of us to recognize what's happening and gives us that foundation of gratitude. So I'm just going to pray. And I want you just to take a moment and meditate on that with the spirit. Um, So Heavenly Father, we do thank you for um, this place, for these people. These are the people that you have called us to. We're not here by accident. Uh, We didn't just stumble into this, but there's a powerful invitation from you to accept the family that you've given us, to recognize in one another the invitation to speak truth, to reveal your heart to one another. So Holy Spirit right now, I pray that whether uh, the people here are part of this church family or their visitors, would you remind us of a time over the past several years where we have been met with a loving, gracious community that's awoken us to the reality of who you are and who we are because of your love. So let's just take 30 seconds and, and meditate on that. Thank You Lord. see, that's us practicing gratitude. Remember I said last week it takes us between one and three seconds to latch onto a negative experience, but it takes us 30 seconds to imprint on a positive. And so um, I had asked, I think, is Johnny Sorman, are you here, Johnny? Maybe he didn't make it today. He said that he volunteered and he was going to go first. So let's pretend like Johnny came up and we're just like, oh my God, you're so true. And I'm going to go, okay, that was so good. Thank you, Johnny. Who's gonna go next? So n- literally, now. Who? Ready? Set? Go. One, two, three, go. All right, come on up. So remember when we give testimony, what we've talked about here, you're telling God's story, not simply your own. Keep it brief, keep it to the point because we want to create space. Come on up. Come on up, Lisa. Hi. We've got a microphone right here for you. And then stand next to this X so the people online can and see. And so I you. can't
2: see. Um, So actually, and hopefully this is okay, I'm kind of calling you out, Um, I was not going to be here today. I've not seen many of you in about a month. Um, Some of you might have seen on Slack that my car broke down. I've had a lot going on the last few months. Um, I had surgery unexpectedly. Um, I don't have a consistent income, like all of these things. Um, And then I put all this money into a car and then it broke down like two days later. So I haven't been able to come. Um, And so really just the thing that I love about this community throughout my time here, because I've been part of this community for well over a decade, um, all the different things in my life, when my dad passed away or when I was in financial issues, like, you know, I've used the Benevolence Fund twice. You you guys have paid my rent. Thank you. Um, and, And I would get, like, a sweet card from people when my dad passed away. But today even, so not just the last couple of years, but even just today, um, I now have a new friend, Taylor, um, because she saw a couple times that I posted like, oh, I would love to come help pack, but I don't have a car and I live in Winter Garden. And so she reached out and was like, hey, I saw that you posted this, do you need to ride to church? And I don't ask people because I honestly don't wanna put people out. And I feel like I've actually, even just sitting here contemplating, I do that with God. Like I don't ask him for things, I try to do it on my own because I don't wanna burden him or I don't want to be a burden. Um, and I've had that a lot of, through my life. Um, but even just her reaching out today really showed me that it's like, like we, I mean, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So um, I just thought it was really sweet and, and such a practical way of loving community that she was so willing to essentially come out of her way. So, because I actually thought that yesterday, I was like, I've seen the pictures and I was like, oh, I, I don't know when I'm going to get a car. So I don't know if I'll be able to be here, yeah. you know, when, when we're done. So I just thought that was really, I literally had that thought yesterday. So I was like, wow, God, like you literally answered that it wasn't even a prayer but you know i was just like oh that's kind of a bummer but you know so i was just so grateful that hopefully i'll be able to come the next couple weeks hopefully i'll get a car but i just thought that was so great that you know that's really that really is us being the hands and feet of jesus it's like hey you have a need i can do it even if it's out of my way um because i know it's important so i'm just super grateful so thank you thank all of you throughout my time here but that sounds final i'm still here but anyway (laughs) i'm staying
1: it's been great having you with us lisa farewell That's great. Thank you. Who else? Who else? Shimona, Joanne. Yeah. Give Give Joanne a round of applause.
0: Hello, I'm Joanne. Um, I had a baby in 2020, which was rough. Um. But I wanted to come up here and talk about um, the ways that the mothers in this community really rallied um, around me. So that was just something that is such a great example, um, not just because I'm a mother, um, but there are some amazing um, maternal women in this church uh, that I, I really encourage you guys to reach out to and to um, grow in community with uh, because... Yeah, they're just such um, uh, amazing people who show the heart of God. And so thank you for all of you guys who have been that for me. And I just encourage you guys to really seek that out because that's something that's really special about City Beautiful Church.
1: Yay. All right, who else? We'll do like one or two more. So if you're like, well, I'll just wait. Jackie, come on up. And the next one is going to be a, a we're going to get a, a man to come up after this, because come on, guys. Did I, didn't I talk about the passivity of men like two weeks ago? We're going to do an entire series called the passivity of Man. Okay? And the fierceness of women.
3: The life be taught all by men. Um, okay, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Jackie. Um, I've been in this community for nine years now, which is absolutely crazy pants, and Um, To echo Joanne's thoughts, 2020 was a very terrible year and the really good thing that came from it though was the Zoom small groups we did and a small group I did a few months ago was a hybrid in-person slash Zoom group uh, with the Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen study. I don't see Nicole Ponder here today but she led that. She did amazing and Jenny Allen made this point that a lot of us, we talk about vulnerability, and it's been such a trendy thing to talk about, and it's good that it's come to the forefront, but we often don't lay down our last two cards where we share 98% of everything that we're going through, but the other two cards forget about it. They're too scary. No one will ever love us again once we share these two cards, but of course we know that's not true. And that line... Like, if I learned nothing else, I at least knew that, that at least to somebody, I would need to lay down my last two cards of the things that I'm afraid, like, I'm actually afraid of, and what I don't really want to share that I've been hiding for the past, like, at the time, it was, like, eight and a half years. But taking that risk and stepping out and, like, finding, leaning into that joy and suffering of being able to lay down those last two cards and taking that risk of, oh, no, like, they they may walk out on me. they probably have the right, but people didn't and that's amazing and I think I really truly understand now. Of course I'll say this like a year a year from now like now I really understand but like now I understand more than ever I guess would be appropriate to say that how important it is to lay down those last two cards and to take a risk with, Obviously, you don't have to do it with everyone. I don't recommend it either, but to, the small groups have enabled me to find those people to lay down my last two cards to share my full self with and they encouraged me like, to keep going to therapy, to keep working on my relationship with the Lord and my relationship to myself. And that's why I used, I used to think Praxis was the dumbest thing in the world because, like, I'm involved in small groups. You don't need to tell me twice, Ryan, but now I get it, and I actually like and love Praxis Sunday now, so sign up for those small groups, y'all.
1: Thank you, Jack. All right, keep those applause coming. Here comes Patrick, go.
4: I uh, This community for me just been just means so much to me. I'm just super super, really, really grateful for um, all of you guys and just all the meals and stuff we shared together. Um, I started coming here like early this year. I I actually stopped going to church for like um, a long time. I was just kind of broken. Just like the community there was just really broken and um, Megan Crump um, asked me to come during the pandemic and just help uh, lead worship or like for the online stuff and Um, I I, never had an an intention of, like, just coming here and, like, keep coming and stuff, but um, when I started playing here, um, I led worship with Megan and Paul and Jenna, and I just really, really felt just super, super welcome and and warm here, Um, and uh, that's just continued, like, every Sunday I showed up, and Um, I've shared so many meals with a lot of you guys, shared just kind of bare hearts and just like kind of just have connection like human to human, like soul to soul and um, that stuff. Just you guys really just make my life um, brighter and I've just been so grateful. Thank you so much.
1: So. I like that Jackie said she used to hate praxis, but now she gets it. I'm like, okay, it's seven years. I finally got there. Got there to one of you. Um, we don't, you know, we're, I love ideas and I love philosophies, but it, there's got to be some practical outworking of the truth of who Jesus is, and that's what we're here to do. And that's why this goes from more just like, oh, everybody needs to sign up for a community group and everybody needs to be serving to saying, I want to persuade you to do something about your faith like work it out with one another shoulder to shoulder and face to face. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to give you a minute. I want you to pull out your phone again, go to that citybeautiful.ch/weekly, click on the link that'll take you to the form for praxis. And prayer for, community group link. It's summer,
4: whatever. It's
3: no it doesn't practice. say praxis. So it, it
1: doesn't say praxis. Okay, go to citybeautiful.ch/praxis-2. I know that that's the one. The summer link.
3: Yeah, it says, like, summer summer summer
1: okay. Summer I must have, missed, I'm, I'm still learning how to use Squarespace. So go to the summer link and, and, and prayerfully look through that. Like, where, where is the Lord inviting me uh, to serve? Um, to, to step in with whatever level of experience I have, whatever level of understanding, but to maybe try something new when I'm coming shoulder to shoulder with this family. Um, and where is He inviting me? to step deeper into loving community? Is it to, to do these spheres where we're delighting in life itself together? Is it in a community group where I'm, I'm, I'm risking that level of vulnerability and openness to allow people to enter into my story and in turn to respond to enter into theirs? But I want you just to prayerfully um, go through that right now um, and then give us your information. Click submit and you have all this week to do it, but I think you need to strike while the iron's hot. And we're going to close it at noon next Sunday, the 20th. And then that evening, um, those hosts and those leaders are going to be reaching out to you. So let's just go ahead and take a moment and just kind of work through that with the Lord and see what He might say.
0: This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful Ch. We hope you join us again soon.